Well, again, we're, we're uh, in this unhurried series, and I titled the passage, the, or the, the message this morning, The Power of Slow. You know Simon and Garfunkel's song, you know, uh, slow down, don't you move too fast, you, want, you gotta make the moments last. I obviously am not a Simon and Garfunkel guy, but that song has been in my head a little bit this last week. But we've been thinking about in recent weeks is how do we address the hurry that is so ingrained in our culture right now that have many of us living kind of frenzied and, and distracted lives that, that are kind of on the edge of brownout or maybe even burnout. And, and we've been talking about adopting spiritual disciplines, practices that, that help us slow down, help us adopt the pace of Jesus, who, Jesus who never seemed to be in a hurry about anything. He's always giving these invitations to rest and to, to come away to a quiet place. Slow down, Jesus says. And Jesus in saying those kind of things, he really, we, he's reflecting the heart of God. It turns out that God is rather, a fond, of, is rather fond of slow. God is not unhurried. Uh, I, I love that old joke. A man's having a conversation with God. He says, God, what's a million years to you? And God says, oh, it's just a minute. And he says, oh, God, what, what's a million dollars to you? oh, it's, it's just a penny. He says, oh God, can I have a penny? God's reply, in a minute. <laughs> to, those of, to those of us who think that God doesn't move fast enough, the apostle Peter says this. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Uh, Peter's saying, God's not slow, as we understand slowness. He says, God is actually patient. He's, he's patient with you. In fact, one of the ways we, we come to know God is by slowing down. I mean, that's what the psalmist said in that famous psalm, be still and know that I am God. If, if we forego slowness, we'll actually forego knowing that there is a God. This was something that God told his people through the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 2, verse 25, he, he says these words. I like, like them in the message version. Slow down, take a deep breath. What's the hurry? Why wear yourself out? Just what are you after anyway? But you say, I can't help it. I'm addicted to alien gods. I can't quit. Wow. <laughs> that last line, isn't that rather potent? I, I can't slow down. I'm addicted to speed. I'm addicted to this pace, right? I can't quit. You see, you know, ruthlessly eliminating hurry from our lives is, it's not really Dallas Willard's idea, although he said it, he coined it, it's God's idea. You know, it's straight from his heart for us. Slow down. I see what, what hurry your pace is doing to you. It's robbing you blind. It's, it's wearing you out. It's stealing your life right out from you, under you. Two things I can think of that hurry robs us of. Hurry, you know, <laughs> it steals our love. It's love. It's hard to love in a hurry. You know, one, one of my most convicting quotes of uh, Eugene Peterson is, is this, busy people rarely give themselves to the people they love. 
You've probably heard me say that before. Busy people rarely give themselves to the people they love. And that's kind of the first cost when we're, we're in a hurry. It's, it's in our inter- interpersonal relationships. We, we don't have time for each other, or we end up treating people as it's, not thou's. We, we treat them as objects. There's something about hurry that, that chokes off love. I've shared before studies that show that people in a hurry are far less likely to help somebody they come across in need than, somebody who have a slow, than people who have a slower pace, right? Uh, think the Good Samaritan story, the, the religious leaders who are able to, to hurry on by the guy who's bleeding, dying on the side of the road, right? Somehow, whatever they had to get to was more important than the suffering of, of a fellow human being that they meet along the way. The fact is, hurry will affect how we treat one another. It really will, for good or for bad. The other thing hurry seems to rob us of, as I've mentioned a few times in this series, is the capacity, our capacity to be present. To be present to one another, to be present to ourselves, to to be present to the world around us, and and most importantly, present to God. You know, presence is is to be in the moment, to be in the, the moment with God. It's interesting, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven was this, I will be with you always. Even though Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, he's ascended into heaven, the New Testament, it seems to be so keen that we know that Jesus is with us always, anywhere, wherever we go, he's there. His presence is near. He's not far away. You can practice the presence of God anywhere. Brother Lawrence, uh, that monk, famous monk from, I think, the 15th century, called this way of life the practice of the presence of God. Folks, he called it practice because practice is what it will take for us. This is a learned learned approach to noticing and becoming focused and aware in our lives to, to God to his presence, where, where we learn to live from this deep place of, of joy and, and peace and love. Uh, John Mark Comer talking about this, he says, all the best stuff is in the present. It, it's in the now. He says, all the great wisdom traditions of history, religious and secular, Eastern and Western, Christian and not, have come together on one point. If there's a formula for a happy life, it's quite simple inhabit the moment. Each moment is full of goodness. What are we in such a rush to hurry to rush off to the next one? There's so much to see, to enjoy, to gratefully receive, to celebrate, and to share. I was with uh, Jesse Lim this week, Janine Lim's mom, and uh, she was in hospital, and she's very sick, and you can be praying for her. But uh, as we met together and prayed and uh, we were talking at the end about her favorite psalm, the 23rd psalm, and one of the last lines. Do you remember what it says? It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And, I, and I'm, I'm no Hebrew scholar, but Hebrew scholars tell us that English doesn't quite capture kind of the intensity of that line, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. It's more like, surely goodness and mercy will chase after me. (laughs) Like, it will pursue me all the days of my life. And I'm wondering, why does it need to pursue us? It's because I think we're going so fast. But I wonder if those words are true, how many days 
in my life, do I miss the goodness and mercy that God is sending me because I'm outpacing it? I'm, I'm just not ready to receive it. I'm going too fast. And so it turns out that slowing down is essential if we're going to love well and if we're going to be present to ourselves and to one another and, and to God especially. So is there a practice or a spiritual discipline that can help us with this? Of course. Thank you for asking. Uh, the spiritual discipline of slowness. Uh, it was, it's not been written about a lot historically. It's been more of a recent discipline. And I think it's because we live in a much faster day where it's a much more relevant discipline. Uh, people like John Ortberg and Richard Foster and, and uh, Dallas Willard all talk about it. I like, like Ortberg's definition of it the best. He says the discipline of slowness is cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. Now, some of you, you're thinking waiting is your least favorite thing in the world. You don't have the gift of waiting, right? Really. You hate waiting. And, and yet, life throws us into all kinds of situations where you can do nothing but wait, right? This, this, is, this discipline is actually putting ourselves deliberately into situations where you'll have to wait, where you'll actually have to change your pace and slow down. It's, it's, it's a discipline that, that is very difficult for many of us. So what could it look like? I want to spend the last part of our time just actually walking through some practical steps of what this could like. There's more than what I'm going to share, yet, share with you. You'll come up with your own practices for slowness, but, but I'm hoping that, that some of these would be practices that you adopt for a time that would help slow yourself down in this season, and some you might actually adopt for a lifetime, might change the way you live forever. Number one, got seven of these. Number one, change the way you drive. You knew this was going to be on here, didn't you? Change the way you drive. Drive more slowly. Uh, <laughs> drive the speed limit, actually. Isn't that a crazy idea, right? Driving the speed limit? Um, you know, don't drive under the speed limit. That makes other people crazy. Just saying. But you know that, that line? Uh, I think I heard it from a driver's education teacher. Like, you, you'll hear it from a driver instructor. And it, it's a common reason why many of us speed it's because someone along the line said, just go, you got to go with the flow of traffic, right? Actually, no, you don't. <laughs> Actually, the, they've, they've set a safe limit for a particular area, and going with the flow, just be, if, if we go with the flow of traffic in our lives, that's a recipe for speed, right? A recipe for hurry. Actually, so I'm, I'm going to suggest going out of the flow of traffic, not under the speed, but like go, go the flow of what the limits are. Uh, not, not, by the way, not meant to be guilty or, or, or cause you to feel shame when you're driving a little bit fast, but um, I, I wonder whether slowing down our speeding might actually be one of the more significant sort of low-hanging fruits we could take away from this. That it might be just an easy thing. And, and besides, now, after this message, every time you speed, you're going to be reminded of this, right? You're going to, you're like, oh, I really should slow. Oh, God's with me. Oh, it, it, I hope this is a cue for you. Number two of the driving scheme here, get into the slow lane. Get into the slow lane from time to time. I, I remember when I first hear, heard Dallas Willard teach this years ago, and up to that point in my life, I don't think I'd ever in my life intentionally chosen the slow lane, like ever. And suddenly, you know, you're, you're driving along on the freeway, and I, I, isn't it the most frustrating thing ever 
when people don't learn that the left lane is the passing lane and where the left lane's no faster, they're just like driving in sync. Anybody frustrated by that? It's because you're probably driving too fast, like me. But, but so anytime I've actually, so Dallas Willard, on his encouragement, I practice from time to time choosing the slow lane on purpose. And it is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Like, honestly, I, I know it doesn't sound like it should be, but it really is painful. But after doing it a few days in a row, what I find is I'm less anxious about my driving. I'm less anxious when I drive. And there seems to be this kind of like greater sense of awareness. I'm able to look out the window and see things. And, and it's like I'm letting somebody else set the pace for me. And it actually has been really, really good. So that, that might be something. Um, it gives you certainly more time to be pray- prayerful and quiet, right? Third, John Mark Comer's suggestion, come to a full and complete stop at stop signs. <laughs> now, whether you do this or not, like wh- whether you, you w- w- are going to change your behavior on this particular point or not, maybe ask yourself the question, why is it so hard? I mean, you're talking one to two seconds of additional time, and probably the average journey that you make, you probably save eight seconds by not coming to a full and complete stop. What are you going to do with those eight seconds, right? I I, I think with these driving questions, really the question is not um, that we speed or not speed. It's What drives us to be in such a hurry when we're traveling places? Why are we in such a hurry? That's the kind of dialogue I'd encourage you to have with Jesus sometime. Jesus, why am I feeling so pressured to get there on time? Like, not to get there on time, but to get there, you know, the fastest way possible. Think about that. Uh, Number two, when you're at a store, choose the longest checkout line. (laughs) Right? Talk about deliberately putting yourself in a p- position where you have to wait. I, I think uh, so for those of us who hate waiting, I think we, we might feel like waiting is inefficient. It's wasted time. What if, though, folks, radical thought here, what if in God's economy, what if waiting is prime time? What if waiting is where some of the best stuff happens in our life? Uh, John Mark Comer, he, he talks about doing this particular discipline in his life. He says, choosing the longest checkout line sometimes, he says, gives him the opportunity to come off the drug of speed. To, to, it, it gives him time to pray. He says, in those long checkout lines, I, I, I do kind of a personal checkout, uh, uh, a check-in of my vital signs emotionally and spiritually. And he says, when I get to the cashier, it's an opportunity to express the love of the Father toward them by saying hello, maybe asking a question or two, and at the very least saying thank you. That's all good, and I love that. I think one of the other disciplines that go with that is to actually, you know, when you're in that longer checkout line, not to get distracted by your cell phone, like to actually decide to intentionally put that away. Because I know many of us, that's, you see that in checkout lines these days, we want to maximize those minutes, and so we bring out our phone. What, instead, why don't we draw our attention to be aware of what's around us and, and, and the surroundings? But Comer goes on to say something quite profound. I think it takes us to that deeper level. He says, here's the deeper motivation. He says, it's wise to regularly deny ourselves from getting what we want, whether through a practice as intense as fasting or as minor as picking the longest checkout line. That way... When someone else denies me from getting what we want, we don't respond with anger. 
We're already acclimated. We don't have to get our way to be happy. Isn't that good? And think about, again, that, that, that level of why, again, this is all, all training and patience, training and in, 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 in noticing God's presence and learning why we are so easily frustrated. Naturally, this takes time, so uh, start small with aisle three. Number three, practice margin. Margin, by the way, is just the white spaces, right? It's, it's just having, you know, instead of having all print, it's having gaps. It's, it's being able to have some order to our lives, <laughs> to, to, to not just rush from one thing to another thing. Uh, you could choose to give yourself, uh, uh, you know, more time to travel to appointments. We were talking about this beforehand. If, if you actually give yourself margin when you're traveling, you're able to, to actually not be hurried because you're not worried about missing your appointment. And so giving more travel time. It might mean going to an appointment five or ten minutes early and just sitting there catching up on your reading of five-year-old magazines when you're at the doctor's office. Um, my, I have this friend, a pastor friend, who we meet r- fairly regularly for lunch, and we always go to the same restaurant. And, and you know what, folks? I have never once been able to get to the restaurant before he is. He's already there. Like, if I show up five minutes beforehand, he's, he's already there. And he's sitting there. I, I, he's not looking at the menu, and he's not looking at his phone. He's just sitting there looking composed. And, and I wondered one time, I was thinking about it, I was thinking, why do I love getting together for lunch with this friend all the time, this, this pastor friend? And I realized for the 60 minutes that we have lunch together, he's all there. He's fully present. It's, I, I think that gap, which is, I've never asked him about it, but that intentional coming early uh, acts as a margin for him for him to just kind of be present with God, and thus he's present to me. He's, he's cultivated that practice. And I think we could do some things like that, of, of, of slowing the pace of our day, not packing in as much as physically possible, but, but giving our minds and bodies and hearts some room to breathe. And I want to talk specifically, and the next point is insert pauses in your work. And it's very much in the same, same tack here. There's this idea that a slower pace in our lives, or at least a slower pace in our workplace, would mean less productivity, when in fact, a slower pace often means greater focus, and you actually do more and are more efficient with your work. That's, that's all the research is pointing in that direction, that, that we live in a distracted day where people are, are not nearly as productive because we're torn in a thousand different directions, and so thoughtful about how we actually um, slow down our work days. Some of you might know of Juliet, Juliet Funt. Uh, she is the, the daughter of, uh, years ago, a show called Candid, Candid Camera. It was in the, on in the 70s, I believe. And her dad was the host of that show. And the daughter has grown up, she's, she's actually a comedian, but also she uh, started an organization called White Space. And, and her whole mission, this mission of this company, is to help companies actually have more thoughtful white space, margins into their day. So let's uh, give you a taste of, of her, te- her thinking. Let's now, we are progressively more used to our seamlessly connected activities. But if we step back, we see that our time is no less than under attack. Meetings, email, and ever-present smartphones are gobbling it up. And consequently, the U.S. workforce is so fried, it belongs in the food court of a county fair. Innovation and creativity are withering before the false god of busyness. 
At home, families are struggling to connect because grown-ups are multitasking during dinner tied to the office by invisible ropes. And so kids, lonely, go off to find a warm screen of their own. And this is the troubling portrait of what we call the culture of insatiability, where nothing that we do is ever enough. And this driving, insatiable culture has turned the average workday into a sprint of reactive busyness. And it's a giant problem. Because when talented people don't have time to think, business inevitably suffers. Now, I challenge you, I challenge you to try to remember, when is the last time you caught somebody thinking where you work? And what would you do? What would you do if you just came around the corner and you just caught them just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, would you, would you call a paramedic? Would you, would you alert the media? We have no posture that is comfortable when relating to thoughtfulness, even though thoughtfulness is what changes everything. I like, uh, I like her language a lot. I mean, let's, you know, our devices, are like invisible ropes that tie us to our work. You hear that? Uh, this culture of insatiability where nothing we do is ever enough. And then she talked about that, that spr- every day, that sprint of reactive busyness. That, that could describe some of your work lives, frankly. I, I think it could. F- uh, Funt's antidote to this, and it's really, the antidote to this is to actually insert pauses, to actually have time where we can think and ponder and pray. Maybe it's just to breathe, um, to, to include God, uh, be, becoming aware of his presence in the midst of our work. He's there in the midst of it, folks. He wants to, to have you experience him in, in the mundane stuff of your work. He wants to make that sacred. It's so good. I've got a friend who between clients uh, every, every day. He takes 30 seconds. He says, before I move into the next appointment, and he's got strings of, he probably sees 40 people a day. He says, before he goes to the next one, he pauses for 30 seconds, and he says, just to catch my breath. And says, he says, it, it's a great method of transitioning to that next piece. So that's, that's that one. Uh, insert pauses in your work. Number five, very related to this, single task. Single task. Do we have any gifted multitaskers in the room? Anybody will admit to that? Some of you try, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm not a gifted multitasker. I, I, this is just true about me. Um, John Mark Comer, he talks about it. He says this. He says, I've come to realize the obvious, that multitasking is a myth, literally. Only God is omnipresent. I inhabit a body a body that can do only one thing at a time. Multitasking is just a sleight of hand for switching back and forth between a lot of different things so I can do them all poorly instead of doing one well. Uh, confession time, can I just be, be open about something I tried, my, uh, learned from my sons. My sons, we'd watch a movie together and while we're watching the movie, they'd be playing a game on their phone while watching the movie. So me, who is easily enthralled by all things digital, I, I decided to follow in their footsteps, and, and I brought out my phone, 
And I decided to try this, playing a game while watching a movie. And my, my honest feedback, and, and uh, you know, I, I hate saying these things in front of my wife because they'll, these words will be used against me, but <laughs> possibly, is, is that it diminished both experiences. The, the movie was, was bad and, and the game was horrible. And, and, uh, but I can think of films that I've gone to see that where I've been fully present and I come away and that film changed my life, right? We're, we're, we're not great multitaskers. We weren't meant to multitask. Uh, Bible scholar uh, Walter Brueggemann puts it this way. He says, multitasking is the drive to be more than we are, to control more than we do, to extend our power and our effectiveness. He says this, and I think it's profound. He says, such practices yields a divided self with full attention given to nothing. I think that's quite an observation. So if we have, uh, you know, any hope of living fully present to the moment, I think we're going to have to give up multitasking as a mode of operations. We, we can't be writing an email, listening to music, carrying on a conversation while we fold the laundry. We just won't be able to do it. If we want to be present to the moment, to God, to one another, to the world, and to our own soul, it's going to require of us focused attention. Number six, uh, give yourself limits with regards to technology. Folks, speaking of focused attention, that's the industry that is the most, uh, the, the growth industry of our day. It's your attention. Uh, social media wants your attention. All, all, all these apps want your attention. The, the, the stores want your attention. That's, that's, that's what they're drawing you into, right? I want to tell you this, that you will not be able to curate or cultivate an unhurried life on an unhurried pace if you do not address the role of technology in your life. You got to put it on the leash, right? It, for, for many of us, I have, a, I have the sense, the picture that I had this morning was uh, technology for many of us is like the tail wagging the dog, Right? It's meant to be a help. It's meant to be uh, assist us. And what happens is it ends up ruling our lives, right? Um, so, so some suggestions. What could looking this look like? And there's lots written on this topic. I'd encourage you, if you have any inclination, read up on this for your own life. If, if you struggle with the technology in your life, or if you struggle with addictive things, there's lots of reading you can do. But first, first suggestion is parent your phone. Um, pretend you're its, its parent right? And at nighttime, what do you do with your kids? You put them to bed as early as you can so you can watch Netflix, right? <laughs> that's, that's what some of you do. But you, you, parent, you put them to bed at a, at a right time appropriate for them, right? So maybe what you, you, you ought to be thinking about is putting your, your phone to bed. Put it to bed at like a, a reasonable time, like 8 p.m., and then don't look at it again till the next morning until after you've spent time with Jesus, until you've gone to the quiet place, that solitary place with Jesus. Don't look at it again. You know, the stats are pretty clear on this one. 75% of people sleep next to their phone. 90% uh, check their phones immediately upon waking up in the morning. I, I, I'm breaking away from this habit in, in my life because I can't think of a worse way to start my day 
than, than reading a text from work or uh, an email or uh, the stock report this last couple of weeks, or, or scrolling through social media, or hearing of the latest news catastrophe some, somewhere in the world. Folks, it's not a recipe for peace. And so, so I, I would encourage you to consider putting it to bed for the night, and don't pick it up until you've had time every day with Jesus to have his loving voice be the first voice you hear in your day. That'd be radical for some of you, right there. Another thought, uh, just briefly, think about how you do emails. Um, emails are another, you know, tail wagger. They've been that way for me, and, 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 and best practices suggest that you're not just allowing emails to randomly come, come at you all day long. You choose specific times. That's just a, a quick suggestion. Um, third, unplug your TV. <laughs> Average Canadian watches 35 hours a week of TV and film. Now, now the number is, is lower for millennials, but they make up for that time with social media. Millennials tend to be more addicted to, to entertainment, not less addicted to entertainment. And, and TV is the one addiction where binging is actually socially acceptable. Uh, uh, people now are having Netflix days where they watch entire seasons of television shows in a day or, or in a weekend, Netflix reports that its average user watches an entire series in just five days, and millions of users watch them in just one day. And, and so recently, before Lent, when my wife said to me, do you want to go without TV and movies over Lent? And I said, right on, let's do it. Because I've been doing all this reading, and it just, man, it sucks our life away. And I want to tell you, folks, I don't want to go back to the full-on life we were living before. It is so good. You have time for, for conversation. You have time to, for, for friends. Some of the things that I didn't seem to have room for before, some of the spiritual disciplines we're talking about, getting rid of the television has just created all kinds of space for that. I, I think sometimes our leisure thing is an idol, and, and it keeps us from actually worshiping the one true God. And so think about now. Set limits. I, I'm not telling you what to do. You, you can still watch TV and, and follow Jesus. But whatever you do, set a limit on your entertainment intake. Don't let it be the standard 35 hours a week. You know, Make sure it's less than that. 10 hours, 5 hours, 2 hours. You'll be okay. Okay, we could do a lot more on that one. Uh, parents, if you want to know more, uh, there's a, uh, just take a look at the couple screens ahead, I think. There's a book called TechWise, uh, The TechWise Family. This is by Andy Crouch, and uh, Sophie's nodding her head. I, I think I lent it to you, and I have a copy. I would lend it to anybody who'd want to borrow that, my one and only copy, um, but a great book in terms of considering how you do this as a family. Okay, final suggestion, and I'll be quick because lunch is coming. Talked about this a little bit last week, but you want to slow down, go outside. In my research on this particular topic, on every list I came across, exposure, time in creation was on every single list. Getting outside, enjoying God's creation uh, is such a good thing. I, I love this about Jesus' teaching. He often taught outside and often pointed to things around him. I, I love his, his line in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
And I love his point that he makes about our value and that we're not to worry because of that because the Heavenly Father takes care of, if he takes care of the birds, how much more will he take care of you? I love that message. But listen to also just what he says. Look at the birds. <laughs> Look at the birds. I, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I, I'm finding birds do something now as I look at them, something for my soul. Anyone agree? Like anybody find that? I mean, what is it about birds? Uh, there's a little finch that's been flitting around outside our kitchen window, and, uh, and I just have decided to pause every time I see it, and I watch it for as long as it will sit there. And it does wonders for me. My friend uh, posted these pictures. He's a photographer in Ontario, and he said, uh, his line on his Facebook post was, a little break from controversy this week. And he posted pictures of blue jays and cardinals and sparrows and, and, uh, and, and the beauty of that. You know, um, there's a famous sort of adage that goes something like this, stop and smell the roses, right? It, it's old, we kind of write it off, but I, I wonder if that's not something we should like make popular again, stop and smell the roses, stop and... and Pay attention to God's creation. And slowing down affords us that. Um, so good. Uh, just to wrap up, you know, folks, if you want to follow someone, you can't go faster than the one who's leading. You can't do it. And so following Jesus cannot be done at a sprint. It's got to have a slower pace to it. And exploring that rhythm is exactly what the spiritual discipline of slowing down is all about. And I hope you join me in it. I think it's going to be good. We're going to just close in prayer, and then uh, we're going to send you off to either home or to the AGM. Would you, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for the invitation you put out to us to actually slow down and recover our lives. You, you know and you see, Lord, the kind of damage that hurry does, and uh, we want to repent of that, and we want to actually renounce it. And, and uh, we're going to need to be deliberate about it. It's not just going to happen. And so, Jesus, I pray you would give us power and grace to adopt the kind of practices in our lives that would help us actually experience you, to, to be in the moment, Lord, to be present to one another and to the world and, and, and to ourselves. But Lord, we want to discover and practice the presence of God. You're everywhere. You're at our work. You're at our home. You're in our neighborhood, Lord. Everywhere we go this week, we're, we're not going to be able to flee your presence. And so help us to, be, to cultivate this awareness, Lord, uh, the capacity to actually silence those voices and the clamor in our hearts and minds and to be still, and to know that you're God. Lord, uh, whatever that looks like for each of us, I pray it's going to look differently for everybody. Um, help us make good next steps in this, Lord. Um, some of us need a revolution in our lives, and I pray you might give us wisdom. I thank you for that uh, gentleman who told me earlier today that, that uh, based on my message a week or two ago, he, he, he doesn't bring his cell phone into his, his bedroom and he bought an alarm clock, and, and uh, Lord, I, I just sense you smile on us when we make those steps, when we actually say, we're going to try and cooperate with your spirit in these things. And so, whatever step we might make, I pray you'd honor and, and help and guide.
Lord, uh, as we leave this place, we, many of us, some of us will go downstairs and, and participate in an, a meeting, and I, I pray you'd give us energy for that and joy, and, and you'd continue to lead us as a congregation into your good work in our world. Bless us, we pray, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.